Well, we are back in our sermon series, title of your bulletin, in the Sermon on the Mount, this very big block of teaching, Jesus most well-known, uh, in the book of Matthew, chapter 5 through 7, and we're back here in our fourth message now, in this passage. If you have a copy of the Bible, open it up, turn it on, we'll get to it in just a second. And we're going to really get in this passage after the looking at the blessings or the Beatitudes and then last week's message about the law that Jesus wants to um, introduce it. But here he's really going to get to the body of the sermon. He's going to talk about the moral law of God. And it was as important, I think, in our day as it is in his to say, you know, if Jesus came and fulfilled the law, right, in his life, he lived a perfect life, and in, in every um, statute in the law he fulfilled uh, and didn't miss one. He fulfilled them all positively, unlike you or me, right? We're not able to do that. And in his death, he fulfilled the law because he was punished for disobedience. So in his life and his death, he fulfilled the law. So people say, what does, is the law have a role anymore? Does the moral law of God, is it important at all in the Christian life? And Jesus wants to get at it. And this is sort of the body of the sermon, and we're going to look at the first message today. But let me say this, too. We mentioned this, uh, that we're going to, this is such rich material, and, and we're just touching, I don't want to say skimming the surface, but, you know, touching on key ideas, and we want to do it beyond it in small groups and individual studies, men's studies, women's studies, small group studies, but we started this questions blog, and uh, you can send in your questions. We sent out our first one about any question that comes up related to this very rich material. And there's one on Facebook, we had hundreds of people watch it, so you can watch that and then send in your questions, and we're going to take one or two a week um, to take this material a little bit deeper. But the question here is this, does the moral law, this is the body of the rest of the men, next many uh, series of messages, or next many messages, is it important in the Christian life and how is it, right? And Jesus dives right in to the guts of human experience over the next many weeks in this material. He's going to talk about anger. He's going to talk about lust. He's going to talk about divorce. He's going to talk about you know, uh, verbal manipulation. He's going to talk about revenge. Okay, This is an outline of the next several messages. And if you ever questioned... One of the beauties about the Sermon on the Mount. If you've ever questioned whether the God who created you or created me actually knows anything about what it means to live your life on the level of the struggles that you and I do, everyday humanity, you should be able to put that idea to rest because Jesus, in this teaching, gets down to the guts of human experience. The first uh, issue he wants to take up, let's read it together, five, chapter 5, verse 21 through 26 is anger, anger. Follow along as I read. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. 
Now, what is Jesus? He, he's going to talk about anger, and I've titled this message, Healthy Relationships. But as I thought about it, it could probably be a title for the next many messages in this series because that's what Jesus really is talking about. One of my favorite writers, uh, Dallas Willard, um, said this about this passage. He said, Jesus not only gets to the guts of human experience, but he said the order for which these subjects are taken up, right? Uh, in this case, murder and adultery and, and divorce and revenge, etc. He said they're important too. Listen to this quick uh, quote. It's not an accident that Jesus deals with divorce after having dealt with anger, contempt, and obsessive desire. Just ask yourself how many divorces would occur and in how many cases the question of divorce would ever have arisen if anger, contempt, and obsessive, fantasized desire were eliminated. The answer, of course, is hardly any at all, okay? He, there's, in this passage, some of you are familiar with it because it's so well known, there's, there's six times where Jesus says, it was said, he quotes the Old Testament moral law, but I say unto you. And it's important for many reasons. Number one, it's important because Jesus is demonstrating his authority, right? He doesn't say what most people like I do. I mean, I quote, I say Paul said, Jesus said, and, and, and John said, right? I don't have my own authority in that sense, right? And that's how the leaders of Israel were as well. They were always quoting chapter and verse. But Jesus does something that no one ever did. He said, listen, it was said, but I say unto you, right? Jesus has an authority, like any other, because he's not only the son of God, he's God the son, and he's demonstrating it here. You remember when they went to arrest Jesus, if you remember that passage, and they, they came to arrest him, and these guys come back, these soldiers, right? And they come back to, the, to the, those who ordered them to go arrest Jesus, and they don't come back with him. They go, what gives? Why didn't you bring him back with you? Why didn't you follow your orders? And they said, listen, you know, no one ever spoke like this man did. He said, this guy speaks with authority, right? So the first thing that's important, Jesus, he sets up these antitheses, what, what's Bible um, scholars or uh, students of the Bible call the antitheses. It has been said, but I say unto you, but I would suggest to you that Jesus, it's not truly an antithesis because Jesus is not going to give you the opposite. He takes the law, the moral law of God. He doesn't give you its opposite. He intensifies it and gives you a deeper understanding. It was said, you know, sort of at a level two, but I'm going to take it up to a higher level. But I say unto you. What Jesus is saying is, listen to his disciples. You've heard that it was said. You've heard the law of God before, but I'm not so sure you understand its meaning or you've understood what it really says. A lot of us, maybe, who know the Bible, right? This is really the challenge of this teaching. But it's not really gotten a hold uh, in your life, right? You know it. You might even be able to quote it. But it hasn't been the truth of God's word, his authority, has not been screwed down into your heart, right? That's the purpose of this series of teaching. So Jesus says this, something very shocking. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone I think that's in the audience would say in this original, I'm saying, listen, sixth commandment. And you almost, almost raise your hand in your heart that says, I know what it is and I'm comfortable to know that I have never broken that commandment, right? Some people have in, 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 in the world, but vast majorities of people in this room too have never taken another human life. So they got Jesus so far so good. But I say unto you, 
anyone who's angry with their brother or their sister will be subject to judgment. He ends that verse the same way he ended verse 21. He, he equates the sixth commandment with anger. It's almost ridiculous, right? And even what Jesus says here, if you call your brother a fool, if you say raka, which means kind of empty-headed, it's, it's, it's a way of saying, in an Aramaic way of saying, calling someone an idiot, if you do that, you'll be in danger in the fire of hell. But I would say this to you, Jesus is either being ridiculous, right? Because anyone sitting there saying, oh my gosh, how could you go from saying that sixth commandment means you cannot take another life? It doesn't say you shall not kill, it says you shall not murder. And take that and say what it really means is you can't be angry with somebody and, and use a verbal slur against them. So either Jesus is being ridiculous, okay, or, back to the song we sang, this is what I think is really going on, or he's showing you his heart, right? It's almost like I might, I might, I, I might say something with passion or conviction and I might even use hyperbole to say, listen, I want to show you what's really in my heart. Jesus is saying, listen, the real meaning, the will of God underneath the sixth commandment has to do with human relationships. It has to do with, un, uh, uh, with, with a kind of anger. And G by the way, Jesus isn't, isn't against all kinds of anger, right? That's not what he, he's not saying, thou shalt not be angry. Jesus himself was angry. Many times, Jesus was angry when he cleansed the temple and turned over all of the tables that were selling merchandise, took out a cord and whipped I mean, think about that. Jesus was angry in Matthew 23. We'll look at it next fall, perhaps, when Jesus takes the religious leaders to test you generation of vipers who has, who has uh, you know, challenged you. You know, to, you know, I mean, Jesus gets very serious. Jesus gets, in fact, ironically, this is the irony of this, Jesus is angry here, right? Showing you his heart. Saying, listen, forget about you shall not murder. You get angry at your brother and sister. As far as I'm concerned, you're in danger of hellfire. So Jesus is not... Taking, saying you shouldn't get angry. Anger is a God-given emotion that you and I use every day to, in healthy ways or in times in our life anyway. But what he is saying is, he's talking about a sustained anger that does damage to other people, right? Point number one, carried anger, this is really what Jesus is saying, is a poison in your life and in your relationships. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about a righteous anger. He's not talking about responding to something in the moment for which you should be angry, I should be angry, right? Beginning, middle, and end. He's talking about a, a, a carried anger. And what Jesus is really saying here is, listen, I think he starts with anger. There's, there's six moral laws in this in this. Matthew chapter 5, in the first part of this sermon. He could have started with anyone. He could have started with adultery. He could have started with, with uh, covetousness. He could have started wherever he wanted to start. But he starts with this one, I think. And I think other smart people would say this as well. I guess that makes me a smart person. Didn't mean to say it that way. But anyway, I think a lot of smart people would say that also because anger actually is one of the most destructive forces in my life and in your life. And anger undealt with anger, unresponsive, not, not dealing with anger in a healthy way, which is what this passage is really all about, will be a very destructive force in your life, perhaps more than anything else. Okay? That's why Jesus takes it here. You've all heard, and it's interesting, that the examples that he gives, you think he says this powerful statement and says, really, the, sixth, the meaning of the sixth commandment is that you shouldn't be angry. And then the two examples he gives in verse 22 are name-calling, right? 
If someone says raka, which is an Aramaic word that means empty-headed, like, like you're an idiot, so to speak, using that kind of word in our day, or you're a fool and you think, gosh, that's all you got? Of all the things that you could say, it's just somebody using those kind of words. Everybody does that. Maybe that's his point. Finish this sentence. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Okay, right. Now, that's, I don't know where that started, you know. Um, I have no idea, but I'm confident um, that it was always meant to be ironic, whoever, whoever made up that statement, right? Because we know this, the greatest wounds that you'll experience in your life, listen, the greatest wounds that I've experienced in my life did not come in a car accident, they didn't come on, on the football field, they came from critical words, from um, words of, of cutting words uh, about rejection or, or, or words that were critical of my intelligence or my character by people that I really cared about, right? That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's getting at in this passage, right? For, look at verse uh, John chapter 3, verse 15. These are harsh words or, or, or stinging words written by Jesus' disciple. Anyone who hates... His brother or sister is a murderer. Okay? And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Right? I don't know that this is a verse you have on your refrigerator, okay? <laughs> or, or is going to be in the end zone of a football game. But this is what Jesus is talking about here. Okay? This is what Jesus is talking about here. I wonder, it's a question of this sermon, really, how many... Married people today, okay? How many people are not married today? How many people are, not, are no longer married today? How many people are no longer close today that were once close? How many people who don't even talk to each other that used to talk to each other, that used to have fun together, that don't have any fun or don't even spend any time together because of words expressed out of carried anger, right? That's what Jesus is talking about. But let me say this quickly. This works both ways, okay? Just like cutting words can be used to do damage, cutting words can be used to wound, words can also be used to heal and to reconcile and to bring people together. And listen, guys, if you read the whole passage again in your, in your spare time, two-thirds of this hardcore passage is really constructive, Verse 23 all the way to verse 26, which is two-thirds of this passage, there's a positive application to this passage. It focuses on positive action, saying, listen, if God has gotten a hold of your heart, if you've understood righteousness from the inside out, if your heart has been truly transformed, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you can actually demonstrate in this very gritty situation of human anger, you can demonstrate the kingdom of a heart. You can, you can demonstrate the life that God has called you to live and the life that God has empowered you to live, the life that you've always wanted to live, and he's going to show us how to do that. But let me say this. This is sort of a quick summary of last week's sermon that you missed, right? Jesus is criticizing here, contrasting two kinds of righteousness. And the first kind of righteousness, which he calls the righteousness of the scribes and the leaders of uh, Israel, or this. It's, it's, it's looking at the law, the laws of God, as a means to achieve a change in your life, right? I want to change my life. I'm a Christian. I want to be a better husband, a better wife, a better kid, a better student, a better uh, employer, a better citizen, a better neighbor. I want to be more like Jesus. How I get there is I work harder in moral conformity to the law. And Jesus says, listen, that is a losing strategy. 
listen to last week's sermon. He says, listen, I think their, 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 their heart might be in the right place when they started, you know. I said, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That was my point last week. You know, they, 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 what they think is this. If I work hard enough on the external behaviors, it being a better person, it being a better spouse, it being a better employer, it being a better human being, eventually that'll work its way into my heart. And Jesus says, it'll never happen, Right? At the time you're trying to work so hard on the outside, the inside's going to be full of wickedness. And um, you, the only way you can have a new heart, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a righteousness that they never had, they couldn't buy. It doesn't exist in church or anywhere. It exists in one place. When you come to God humbly and say, fill me, give me what I don't have, that's the only place you can get it. And in this passage... After he gets serious about waking us up to carried anger is the real interpretation. He said, listen, you can do something about it. Let me tell you what it means to live this out uh, by the kingdom heart. What does it mean to live your life under my authority and out of my grace? That's what the Beatitude's about. So, carried anger is a poison in your life and relationships. Heart of the message here. Healthy relationships are the very purpose of the law of God. See, what he's really going to unpack and say, listen, you want to know what the whole Ten Commandments are about? You know what the entire um, law of God is about? We think it's about, you know, you know uh, uh, checking a list and, and appeasing God and satisfying a perfect and holy and righteous God, which he is those things. But we think of it as if God, we start with the assumption that God is angry. There's a parable about that later. We knew that you were a hard and angry man. And I want to I satisfy you. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The whole purpose of the moral law of God is to protect the integrity of human relationships, which are the heart of life, right? And he starts with anger because I think anger, which is the underlying intent of the sixth commandment, will do more damage in your life and more damage in my life in relationships than anything else there is. Now, the two examples, 23 to 26, are about the positive goodness of the kingdom of God. He's saying, listen, in these two quick examples, he's saying, let me show you for someone who knows how to live out of the righteousness that I give, who understands what it means to receive the blessings and live out. Let me show you what, the, what it looks like to live out of my love and my power. And again, what he says, it's so interesting, the teachings of Jesus, is, is how improbable what he is saying is. Just like it was, he says to show his heart if you get angry with your brother and sister, as far as I'm concerned, you're in danger of hellfire, right? He's not giving a new law. He's showing you how important it is to him. And in this example, he's doing the same thing. Think about this for a minute. Slow down. You and I, we don't, this example washes over us because we don't live in the first century. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And therefore remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now that made a lot of sense to this culture, but to the Jews, the Jewish men and women he was speaking to, his disciples, there wasn't a church on every corner. There was one temple. It was in Jerusalem. And good Orthodox followers, Jews, they went down to Jerusalem for wherever they lived, whether it was in Galilee or in, in Europe or wherever they lived, they came and offered their gift at least three times a year or more. Right? It wasn't like coming to church in and out in an hour. 
They, it took them two or three days just to get there. And Jesus is saying, listen, I take this so seriously. This is so important to me. I want it to be important to you. If you come to church, if you come all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem and you finally got there and you're just about to give God your gift, you're about to worship. And you discover and you remember, oh, I forgot. I got a broken relationship with my spouse way back there in Capernaum. I got some issue that I've had with my friend or my brother or my sister or my kid or my parent. I got something. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take that gift. I want you to put it aside near the altar so you've made the journey. And I want you to go all the way back and make that right. Don't bother coming to church to have an honest relationship with me when you got an issue with other people, okay? He's not setting forth a new law, guys. He's showing you his heart, okay? That's what he's doing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Underlying this and all other commands is the primacy of love command, right? Which is the key to understanding all scripture. Just listen quickly to this passage, Romans chapter 13. This is what Jesus is getting at, and Paul will tease it out in the book of Romans. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. That's what these illustrations show. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, That's what Jesus is saying here. Underlying this and all commands. Let me tell you something. If you understand what it means to have the kingdom heart, okay? If you think the Christian life is about obeying the law, please go back to the Beatitudes, right? It all begins with God's grace. When you, when you wake up every single day and realize, listen, blessed are the poor in spirit. You come to God, I don't care how smart you are, how, how well put together you are, how mature you are as a Christian, but every single, all of us come, it's a level playing field, right? We have no righteousness of our own. And when you begin to live out of that truth every single day, empty and full, hungry and satisfied, uh, uh, seeking a righteousness that only can be given from God, let me tell you, it'll transform your understanding of other people who have hacked you off, okay? It, it, who have hurt you. Because you'll, you will be hurt, you'll have real issues, but this is what you'll see in yourself. There but for the grace of God go I. I am a sinner saved by grace. And it is impossible to carry in my heart both a grudge against you and compassion against you. And if I really see myself for who I am before God, even though you've offended me, I begin to come to terms with that. I begin to experience the richness of his forgiveness, which gives me the freedom to express it to you. That's what he's talking about. Okay, That's what he's talking about. Healthy. Re now, last point. Here's the application. Healthy relationships demand decisive action. That's what this is about. Jesus is saying, listen, he's not saying you, thou shalt not be angry. He's saying you're going to be angry. Anger is a part of life, and you're going to have it probably more often than all the other challenges that the law of God will bring you. That's why he starts here. 
He's saying, listen, get over it, the fact that you want to, don't try to stop being angry. That's a waste of your time. Learn how to heal and repair broken relationships because it will happen. And that's really what this offers. This, these paragraphs are basically simply saying, listen, it's repentance, right? And all repentance is, is changing your mind and heart, saying, listen, it's saying, I'm going to give up my pride, blessed are the meek, for they shall right? Inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to give up my pride. I'm going to give up my self-protective strategies, and I'm going to just open myself to God and whatever he has for me, and God will enable me to do and go farther and reconcile with others that I could never do because my pride and my self-protection were keeping me from doing that, right? This is what Jesus is talking about. It's not a new law. It's learning how to live out a new whole way of life. We don't keep the law by never getting angry. We demonstrate the kingdom heart by learning to live out of God's power. And when we do this, right, then we actually fulfill the law. This is the irony. This is what he's saying. The, 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 the law is fulfilled by loving one another. That's how we ultimately fulfill the law. So here's my question for you, for me. That's what this, this is Jesus' question for his disciples. Who do you need to reconcile with today, right? Some of us, we have, to do some, we have to ask God. We don't even know where we have damaged a relationship, where we've offended somebody and decided that it wasn't important. It's up to them. And this has grown a, a callus over our heart and has infected not only our relationships with others, certainly with this person, but maybe even with God. Um, your life and your relationship with God isn't what it is what it should be, because you haven't learned how to reconcile. So while you're thinking about that, let me just show you a very quick example that has impressed me from someone in this church in the last couple months. A couple years ago, a woman who I know some of you know, a young mom in our church, Sarah Knight, started an organization uh, called Rock uh, Girl Gang, which is really the mission of that organization is to feature and support local female creatives and entrepreneurs, people, women who are making a difference to help inspire other women uh, in various ways in our community. Christian, non-Christian, it's, it's for all women. It's, it's something she's done, and it's taken a life of its own. If you know Rock Girl Gang, if you know, if you've been to a Becoming Boss, um, she's been in the newspaper, she's been on TV. It's been an amazing ride for two years. Two months ago, or three, whatever, the day before voting day, uh, November the 5th, she posted something on Instagram, a picture of the grave of Susan B. Anthony, and she said, ladies, let's get out and vote. Don't forget to vote. I didn't tell you who to vote for, but, don't... but she ended up having a very unusual response. Some of her thousand visitors, uh, uh, supporters encouraged her, but some sent back stinging criticism. And they sent back stinging criticism because they said, Sarah, we appreciate what you have to say, but uh, uh, there's things about Susan B. Anthony and her advocacy or lack of advocacy for women of color that offend me. Now, Sarah had a decision to make. She didn't even really know what the controversy was all about. But she, it was coming at her full steam. She had, a, she had to make a decision and that she could either decide to ignore it because she had a lot of people on that were supporting her, she could decide to push back and get on and justify 
her, her original reasons for putting up the post, or she could decide that the most important thing was not the issue, but it was the relationships that she had developed and was developing with many people. And that's what she decided. So what's what she decided to do? She decided to have one of these events. And this time, event that she always leads, she decided she would um, reach out to some women of color and say, listen, not only would you participate, but would you lead an event on race and entrepreneurship? I don't, I'm just going to sit and listen. Would you come, and my event, in my venue, would you come? I want to hear what you have to say. And she did this just a couple months ago. You see uh, these women uh, in this picture, including our mayor. Now, I, because Sarah and I are friends, I got a special guy pass to the event. <laughs> but I'll tell you what was so interesting. Sarah normally runs the event. She, she was on the platform only for two minutes to introduce it. There she is with Martisa Williams, who actually was the moderator. And she said these words, okay? I want to be honest and tell you a little bit about how we got here this morning. Not everyone was a, uh, knew what was going on. Several months ago, I made a post about voting on Instagram, and it hurt and angered some of the rock girl gang community. You can look it up and read the comments in your free time. It's still up there. I didn't delete it. My knee-jerk reaction was to excuse myself, saying I didn't know, and I didn't. I didn't know what I didn't know. I recognize and acknowledge the privilege in that statement, the privilege that many of you in this room do not have and never did. But it's 2019, and I didn't know it was no longer a good excuse, and maybe it never was. What I've come to realize is that for people like me to start knowing what they do not know, we need to sit down and listen to conversations like the one we're about to have today. It's a start. It's a step in the right direction. So without further ado, I'm going to sit down and shut up and turn this day over to the incredible women who are about to speak. And then Sarah sat down and in her own event uh, and quietly listened for the next two hours, okay? The controversy, listen, there are people in this room, I'm confident, who are no longer talking to someone and you don't even know the reason anymore, okay? The original reason, the issue, right? Politics, religion, personal um, slight, the reason, you don't even know the reason anymore, but the relationship, you've stopped talking. You've stopped spending any time together. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, uh, wake up. You're, the reason you're not living the life you've always wanted, the life that I've designed you to live, is because you don't know how to deal, you don't know how to do repair in human relationships. Anger will come. Offenses will come. You will make mistakes. Sarah and I were talking after. I said, listen, Sarah, that was a, that was an interesting challenge, and, and, and as, a, as a leader, you know, you stepped in it. Guess what? You'll do it again, okay? I promise you. Take it from someone who knows, okay? The, the question isn't the mistakes that we make, the offenses that we cause, is what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? So it's a question I have for you, right? I want you to take a minute. We're going to sing, but I want you to think hard about your life this morning. What's the application for this passage for you, right? Are there people in your life, in your uh, family, in your friendships, maybe members of your own family that you have 
broken your relationship with, maybe today is a day to think about, to pray about what you need to do to turn things around, right? Take action. Humble yourself before God and and, and another person. Pick up the phone, right? Walk across the room. Turn off the television and do whatever your part is in reconciliation, right? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down when you are angry. Paul says, do not give the devil a foothold in your life, okay? So we're going to sing. I want you to just use this few moments, right? Wherever you are, you want to pray, do it. You want to come and kneel down on this uh, uh, platform, uh, do it. You want to just take some time. Ask God. Open me, Lord. Open, speak to me. Who have I had a conflict with? Who, can I rec- who do I need to reconcile with? Where have I left something undone? Where do I need to sit down and listen and, and take my, a first step towards reconciling a relationship uh, that has been bruised or broken? Amen? Let's sing.